Hi, I'm Richard Bond, and I am the producer and director of the Tupac Assassination movies. Over the last 12 years, I have learned a lot about Tupac, and I'd like to share with you what I know. You don't have to come and confess. We're looking for you. We gon' find you. We gon' find you. So you can run and tell that. Run and tell that. Run and tell that. Homeboy. Home, home, homeboy. Hey everybody, it's RJ Bond, and as always, I am here with the one, the only, the irrepressible J.M. Kazi. Hello everybody, welcome to our show today. We are happy to have you here, thank you for tuning in. Of course, the show is RJ Bond, What I Know. It's also J.M. Kazi, What I Know, but, you know, since I started the show as RJ Bond, What I Know, what can I do? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just arrogant that way, I suppose. Anyway, well, this is the channel and the podcast that we talk about all things regarding Tupac and Biggie. Uh, we do tend to stay close to the investigation side of things, but we do veer off from time to time to talk about the knucklehead things that are happening in the world because the Tupac and Biggie world is a very colorful place to be. And I think that there are many people that uh, uh, do crazy things in that world. And whenever the news comes up, we, we tend to talk about those things. So... We have been also going over the files from the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department. And uh, we've dropped a couple of bombshells over the last couple of weeks. Right, Kazi? Actually, uh, a few bombshells. Yeah. And we uh, go back and watch those podcasts. If you haven't seen them, go back and watch them. Uh, they're, they're very good. Or watch them. Listen to them. You don't watch them. You listen to them. You watch our live streams. Those happen on Thursdays. Plug, plug, plug. And uh, you can catch them there. Um, they did have an opportunity. We got a little bit of feedback saying that they had trouble getting to J.M. Kazi's uh, YouTube channel. Uh, I will make sure on my YouTube channel and other YouTube channels that help promote our show that we will get the proper link in the more, more column or more information column there so that people can uh, link right to it and jump over to your channel and see what's happening on the live stream. So that's what we'll, we'll do. And today, we're going to talk about another bombshell. Um, I think it's a pretty significant bombshell because um, where there are a lot of things that we talk about and information that we get that debunks or supports or uh, validates or invalidates certain aspects of the Tupac Shakur investigation or the Biggie investigation. And this particular one, um, you know... This is a real head-turner for me. Again, this was something I had never read before, something that you've never heard before, you've never seen before, and as I always say, our illustrious other fellow journalists that have written books about things and claim they knew everything there was to know about the murder investigation. They either knew about it and didn't care, or they didn't think it was worth putting in their books or newspaper articles or whatever they write. But I think this particular one is pretty important because I think there's only one reason that this particular piece of information is in the Metropolitan Police Department files um, and it concerns the getaway car. We've been spending a lot of time talking about the getaway car, haven't we, Kyle? Yeah, we certainly have. And, and, now, and now that we've actually gone through and brought the documents, especially with whatever happened on the Flamingo and Colval uh, incident, we're starting to uncover a lot more, and uh, people are in for a good surprise today. Yeah. So, the source of the documents that we came across, 
Again, this was bundled in the 1,400 pages of documents that the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department have released to uh, parties inquiring. And uh, no, you can't just go and get them. So get that out of your head right now. But they do have those documents out. And uh, we've been a long time going through them. And so as not to overwhelm people, uh, we you know kind of take them one thing at a time. So again, this isn't the Vlad move that we're taking one subject and dividing it up into 100 different parts. So instead of an hour and a half interview, you have 80, 80 parts, five minutes each so that somebody can make some money off of it. Um, that's, we don't do that shit, but, uh, ultimately what we do is give you a piece of information and then we talk about it. We sit on it. We, we look at it and examine it and see where it fits in the overall zeitgeist of the investigation. All right. So here's what we got. Well, I got this report here and this report is a report compiled by a Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department officer. Okay, this was not an innocent bystander witness. Now you have a reports being made by officers. And this officer is there. I'm not going to tell you who he is because, again, I don't want the leeches turning around and trying to bug people about things and finding out, you know, what's what. But this officer was actually logged on as an overtime assignment unit at the Sierra Rancho Estates. Okay, it's located in the area of Tamiyasu and Sunset. Okay, so now, if everybody remembers what that is, Kazi, what's the significance of Sierra Rancho Estates? That's, that's where Suge Knight lived. That's right. Res, where his residence is. So we have a report. Date and time occurred of September 7th, 1996. At 21.30 hours, this is the occurrence, it is a, an officer's report uh, to meet the Daz Dillinger standard of accuracy in reporting. Uh, it is stamped. Uh, it is file stamped with a signature on it. Um, and it does give that an event. WAC 100. <laughs> yep. Oh, is that WAC 100 that said it wasn't Daz? Yeah, WAC 100. Yeah, WAC 100. A seal, it has a WAC 100 seal of approval. Right. So, <laughs> so all right, so yeah, so we, so yes, this is, so it is an official report. So, <laughs> there's officer, and you know what? I'm going to actually read this, and Kazi, what, I'll read the first paragraph, you take the second paragraph, I'll read the third paragraph, and you can read the last one, okay? All right, you got it. Does that you work okay? And you get to drop the bombshell, so you better be dramatic with this one. All right, here we go. This police officer who put this report together at the location of occurrence was the Sierra Rancho Estates. And he said on September 7th, 1996, at approximately 1900 hours, which would be 7 p.m. for all of you who are non-military types, I, officer blah, 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 badge number blah, 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 logged on as an overtime assignment unit at the Sierra Rancho Estates located in the area of Tamiyasu and Sunset. And we just established that's the home is. He said the purpose of our assignment was to maintain security for a potentially disruptive party located inside the estates following the Tyson fight. So basically it sounds to me in this first paragraph that they were already anticipating that there was going to be some rather raucous activity 
at the Suge Knight estate and they actually assigned officers to overtime assignments there just to make sure that there wasn't any disruptive activity. That's actually kind of a um, highfalutin part of the Las Vegas scene, that area, the Rancho Estates. It's, it's actually, by today's standards, it's not. But back in the 80s and 90s, that was the happening place to be. The houses were fairly good-sized houses, and uh, that was where people of any stature would hang out. There's a golf course, I think, in the middle of it. Um, it was used in the movie Casino, uh, where they landed the airplane in the middle of the golf course there. Uh, that was where that was all shot. But at one time, it was nice. And apparently, these cops were actually hired on overtime. So it means it was an official job assignment by the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department, either by a contract with somebody else or sanctioned directly by the department. They were paid overtime to babysit this location. And so I move on, Kazi. Take it away. All right. At approximately 2,200 hours, which would be 10 p.m., the caravan of approximately 15 vehicles arrived <clears throat> at the guard gate, all seeking entry into the Knight residence. So the entourage was going to be Suge Knight's entourage, of course. Security was making phone calls to the residents, admitting one vehicle at a time until Mr. Knight arrived himself, at which time he admitted all the vehicles. The last vehicle, if I'm not mistaken, I believe was a cream-colored Cadillac occupied two times by NMAs. So, RJ, did you want me to touch on exactly the question that I have for you regarding this, or did you want to go ahead and well, wait a minute. once we get done? Well, wait, 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 wait a minute. What, what, what? Okay, wait a minute. Did he just say the last vehicle admitted was what? What, what, what? It says, if I'm not mistaken, okay. I believe... It was a cream-colored Cadillac occupied two times by NMAs. And if you remember correctly, every single vehicle that was in that entourage was black, except for Kadada's car. But there was no car in that entourage that was cream-colored or even a Cadillac. Well, wait a minute now. That, well, wait a minute. Where are you getting that information from? Because I got a Las Vegas Metropolitan Officer right here saying that he saw a cream-colored Cadillac, the last vehicle to drive in with the entourage of cars going to Suge Knight's house. Where are we getting the information that every one of the cars was black? Kadada's car was maroon. Where, where are we getting that information from? What reliable source do we have that, that can testify that every single one of the vehicles was black? So you saying you're down? Down like a clown, Charlie. Boop. Down like a clown, Charlie. Bebe. Down like a clown, Charlie. Bebe. Down like a clown, Charlie. Bebe. Right, exactly. Okay, we don't. We don't. Okay, we don't. So, but what I have here is an official officer's report from the officer at Suge Knight's home who took the time to state that if he wasn't mistaken, he believed it was a cream-colored Cadillac occupied two times by NMAs. NMAs back in those days stood for Negro um, Male Adults. So NMA, Negro Male Adults. The last vehicle, if I'm not mistaken, I believe, was a cream-colored Cadillac occupied two times by Negro Male Adults. Now, 
that's a that's a mind blower to me. I don't know if your mind just blew. My mind just blew. Okay, because consider the implications of that for a moment. But I'll read my paragraph anyway, so you don't have to consider for too long. Approximately one half hour later, the caravan of vehicles all exited the guard gate, that being approximately 22.30 hours. So it sounds like they were only there for a half hour. The first vehicle being Mr. Knight as the driver and Mr. Tupac in the right front passenger seat of the vehicle. The caravan all exited at once and it was approximately 20 minutes later that we heard radio traffic involving a shooting and a pursuit. It was later that we were informed that the shooting involved Tupac and Mr. Knight. So let's go back over that. So this this cop says that approximately a half hour after everybody showed up, the caravan of vehicles all exited the guard gate. Now, if he's taking the time, and this is what I think is important to know here, Kazi, if he's taking the time to say that the last vehicle was a cream-colored Cadillac, there's a reason he is saying this. There is a reason this fact is being brought out because he doesn't describe any other single vehicle of this entourage. Mm-hmm. He's pointing out that there was a Cadillac, a cream-colored Cadillac. That, now, could you mistake that cream-colored Cadillac for a white Cadillac? Well, probably at night you could. Um, mm-hmm. And the fact that he is saying, and that this is the only time in this that he mentions any specific vehicle for any reason. Okay. And makes a point of making this report that was submitted. But he says approximately half hour later, the caravan of vehicles all exited the guard gate. Okay, the first being vehicle being Shug Knight. And the caravan exited at once. All exited at once. So if there was a Cadillac that showed up and he made a point of knowing that he recognized that it was a cream color Cadillac, he would have probably also recognized that the cream color Cadillac all left with all of the other cars in the entourage. Now, for me, the implication of this is pretty chilling, okay? And that that does seem to validate one potential thought that the reason that the Cadillac knew where the entourage was is because they were part of the entourage, okay? Uh And that they looked for an opportunity or knew where they were going to be or got got the call that the coast was clear, to make the move and they snuck right up that right-hand turn lane bypassing and they could have come from the back of the entourage. But I can tell you one thing that, that you know, if there were 15 vehicles that came in and the last one was a cream-colored Cadillac, Suge Knight being the first one and told, said that everybody could go in, Suge Knight was not standing at the guard gate handing out flowers and waving people through, welcome to my house. He wasn't doing like they do in Hawaii, where they hand out a lay and they give you a lay and do a little thing when you get to the airport. Welcome to my house. It wasn't like that. Shug went through, went into his house. He was first in line, said everybody else following goes through. And they said, I'm with Suge Knight. I'm with Suge Knight. Everybody goes through. He didn't know there was a white Cadillac at the end of that. Maybe. I mean, maybe he did. I don't know. But... When they all left, Suge Knight was in the first vehicle. So if that cream-colored Cadillac just hung out and waited for everybody else to leave and they left following them, guess what? Suge Knight probably wouldn't have known that either. That's why it could have been very easily been a surprise if that car came up from behind the entourage, ran down that right-hand turn lane, and opened fire. Okay? But being that this police officer, and again, this is part of the murder investigation files here, this police officer believed that a cream-colored Cadillac occupied by 
two Negro male adults, was the last car in of the entourage there, and then they turned around and exited all at the same time. Well, go ahead and you can read the, the other thing. Just don't mention any names now. Read that last paragraph. Well, well, before I read it, I, okay. do, I do have a question because I, I do want to kind of recap on that. So what do you think, what scenario was most likely? Was it that the Cadillac went through the gate or the Cadillac stayed outside the gate just kind of lurking, waiting for the entourage to come back out? No, no. He's, no, he says, he says, a caravan of approximately 15 vehicles arrived at the guard gate. The last vehicle, if okay. I'm not mistaken, I believe was a Cadillac. No, it went through. Okay. And then okay. it says they all I, left. I just, I just want to give give the listener the context so that they could. Right. Really no, this was no. Just, according to this witness statement, and this is another witness statement, he was there. Okay, at the mm -hmm. estates, he wasn't some guy on the street offering opinion about what he thought might have happened. This was another witness who was there, an eyewitness who happened to be a, an officer who said, at 2200 hours, a caravan of approximately 15 vehicles arrived at the guard gate, all seeking entry into the night residence. The last vehicle, if I'm not mistaken, was a cream-colored Cadillac occupied two, two times by Negro male adults. Okay. That's it. It's as cut and dry as it gets. There was nobody laying in the cut, nobody waiting around. These guys said... Okay. This guy, his witness statement is, they all went in, and the last one in was a cream-colored Cadillac. And then when they left, they all left. Okay? He okay. didn't say the cream-colored Cadillac stayed behind, waited, or anything like that. They all left. And Knight was in the first position, the first vehicle out. Now, I think that that's, right. a, that's also interesting to point out, because he is differentiating the last one that was in, and when they all left, the first exactly. one that was out. Okay? So yeah, if they, and that was my next point. Yep. Was that it was the last car. So if it was the last car, nobody probably saw it then, right? Right. That's what I say. Suge Knight definitely didn't see it. He was already in the house by the time that car parked. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then, whether or not they went into the party or whether or not they didn't, I've never heard of a single death row person ever saying anything about anybody else having a Cadillac of any kind, white or cream color or any other color. Have you? Never. Never. And that's why this is that's why this is the fourth bombshell and this is and that's the reason why these documents are so important is because you get to hear these these details from people who have no skin in the game. They're just regular people that they have no prerogative here. Right. So, so yeah. you know, Reggie could try to whitewash this one and say, Oh no, that's not true. Oh no, that's not true or Greg Kating, oh no, that's not true. No, this guy made it clear that that's what he saw. He said he saw, he said, if I'm not mistaken, and he, of course, could he be mistaken? Maybe, maybe it was a cream-colored Lincoln, okay? Certainly wasn't a black-colored Cadillac, let's put it that way, okay? But the fact that he makes a point of referring to this, a one-page report, there's four paragraphs, okay? The only car that he identifies in this is a light-colored Cadillac. And he makes a point that it was the last car that was in of the whole entourage of cars and that they all left with Knight being in the front. Okay. So go ahead and wrap, wrap the, uh, wrap the uh, last paragraph there, Kyle. Okay. So approximately one half hour later, 
the caravan. No, we already read that. We already read oh, that. Okay. Right. Yeah. Last paragraph. See, see, I'm I'm so I'm so caught up in this story that I'm not even paying attention. <laughs> All right. Okay. Security that worked the gate is called blank, and they did maintain log sheets of the vehicles that went in and out of the guard gate. My supervisor for the seven-hour shift was blank, and I went off duty at approximately 0400 hours. I also worked with Officer Blank and his uh, number for his badge. I'm going to go ahead and blank that out as well. And if you want to go ahead and read the last one, RJ, at the very, very bottom, unless you want me to continue, I'll go ahead and do that. Yeah, no, it says it says that the time and date that was dictated was 92496 or 1200 hours, and it was transcribed 92796 at 1700 hours. So he gave a verbal report about what happened at that time. Now, I mean, it's obviously that he could say that he believed it was a cream-colored Cadillac on 924, you know, uh, 17 days later. And the reason that that bears relevance is because, again, like I said, by that time, there was either a suspect car that was a white Cadillac or a suspect car that was a light-colored Cadillac or a suspect car that was a white Lincoln or a light-colored Lincoln. But it pretty well been narrowed down that there was a car of interest and I think that the only reason that this guy, because he heard what was going on, and again, like the lady that came forward and gave her witness testimony about being in the turning lane and seeing the car that had almost ran her over, and of course, no shooting and no retaliation from anybody at death row, according to this witness, which again, you know, how many witnesses are we going to bring forward that they keep saying, oh, well, that witness isn't right. Oh, they're wrong. Oh, they don't know what they're talking about. Oh, they don't know. They're... Okay, sure. Um, but he came in and he voluntarily, again, made the connection that the last vehicle that was in there, he must have, have remembered that and then it was important to the detectives and they took the time to record it and commemorate it and he gave his name, his badge number, his boss's badge number, who his supervisor was, who he worked with when he was on duty there and their badge number. Uh, so there was plenty of people that they could actually get to corroborate what this guy was saying. And they wouldn't have treated it as anything viable if they hadn't already corroborated it. They, usually cops don't record things unless they have reason to. Okay, they'll take all the... Oprah did it. Okay, they're not going to take a recording of somebody that said Oprah did it. Okay, because it's, it's probably not... Probably not valuable information. Probably not relative. But in this particular case... There's a reason this was put together. It was stamped. It was official. All transcribed down there. These are sworn officers. Okay. And so, again, but here's the deal. Not, no indictment. No indictment here. Do you see an indictment? Do you see anybody driving the car? The white Cadillac? Nope. Didn't say. Mm -mm. Would have, I guess it would have been pretty easy for him if he was just trying to go off his memory saying, I remember that the guy driving the Cadillac was Orlando Anderson or Jerry Bonds or somebody else. Okay. Mm -hmm. You know, if they really wanted to play pin the tail on the donkey and they were looking to hang it on Orlando Anderson, like, you know, kind of like Compton PD like to do, uh, you know, mm -hmm. and looking for a reason to pin the tail on the donkey, they definitely could have done that. But again, this isn't about anybody's indictment. This is about the car. This is about activities that happened and getting witness statements recorded as to the things that happened around that time and the shooting. Okay. So, I mean, there you have it. 
I mean, you know, we've got a, a, a patrol officer working overtime there at Suge Knight's Country Club Homes. And uh, the purpose of the assignment was apparently they were waiting for a big brouhaha that was going to happen at, at, a, at a party inside the estates following the Tyson fight. Now, you know what's curious to me about this was they were preparing for a party located inside the estates following the Tyson fight, but and they actually hired officers, overtime officers, to do that. That would have been a very slow night because they all went to Club 662. But that would have been, a, I would think, a very slow night for them unless maybe they were anticipating after Club 662 shut down, everybody went to Suge Knight's house and had a party there. What do you think about that, Kazi? Well, <laughs> what are my true thoughts on that? Um, wow. I don't know. I haven't, I haven't really put it in context. I mean, where, where, where are you exactly... What are you alluding to it right now, as far as? Well, I'm just saying. I'm just saying that somehow, uh, Vegas police officers were assigned to that that you know uh, housing track, the Sierra Rancho Estates. They were put right. there, at least two officers that we know of, because they were worried about a potentially disruptive party located inside the estates following the Tyson fight. Okay. But the plan that they either hadn't been clued in on or, or maybe there's another reason was that everybody was going to Club 662. So a potentially disruptive party, it would have been a very quiet night at Suge Knight's house because they were all partying at Club 662 if everything had gone according to plan. Okay. Okay. But I also know that Club 662 yeah. does close at a certain time of night, 2, 3, whatever time of night it does. This guy was scheduled to be on until 4 in the morning. So, right. I mean, maybe they were thinking that after Club 662 shut down, maybe there was going to be a, you know, a, a party at Suge Knight's house. I don't know. Well, I just think it's interesting, Tell though, me. because they, they, he said the purpose of our assignment was to maintain security for a potentially disruptive party located inside the estates following the Tyson fight. Okay. Is it safe to assume that possibly in, in, in previous, you know, parties that they may have had that there may have been some disruptions well i think the neighbors hated suge knight i think you know you're talking about <laughs> a lot of rich white old dudes living in that in that particular tract and here comes this right. guy with entourages of 20 people and parties going on until all hours of the morning and i'm sure it was loud and i'm sure it was boisterous and rambunctious and all the other adjectives you could think of to say what a potentially disruptive party i mean who knows they could have been hired. Vegas police could have been hired by the homeowners association there. You know, that's one possible thing that they were hired on by the homeowners association to work overtime hours because the homeowners association was worried about the disruption. I mean, this takes me back in a way to answer your question. This takes me back to when the Knox report talked about the problems at the Can-Am studios and how the neighbors were complaining around that area in the uh, Tarzan and Sino area where Can-Am is located. There's a lot of neighbors that have condos and houses in within, you know, a block of that place. And they were constantly complaining about the noise, about the activities, the fighting, the, the loud partying that was going on in all hours of the evening at Can-Am. So it really doesn't sound to me, and we have the evidence to prove this, it doesn't sound to me like the death row people really gave a damn about being courteous to the neighbors uh, in terms of keeping it down, not, you know, pissing in somebody's front lawn, things like that. You know, it's just, it's, I think it's one of those things where 
and, and we don't know this, but I think one p potential is that these cops were, were notified by the homeowners association that there was going to be a party after the Tyson fight. And to your point, because they were there for so many of the other fights, there probably already had been several disruptive parties at the estates following a Tyson fight, because there were a lot of Tyson fights. So this time the homeowners association just said, you know what, we're getting the cops here. We're not even going to have to bother with residents having to call the cops. The cops will already be here on site. And it was worth paying them the overtime to do that. So, you know, again, we don't know that Club 662 was always the go-to place after a Tyson fight. You know, we don't know really how many times they, they could say, oh yeah, we always used to go over to Club 662. Well, always isn't exactly a definitive word. We really don't know if it was maybe sometimes they did and maybe sometimes they didn't. But my guess is that the reason these, these uh, police officers were retained under normal circumstances, the reason that they're retained is they're retained by something like a homeowners association or a, uh, you know, a, a neighborhood community board or something like that, where that, because it is a gated, closed community. And there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be pissed off that they got woke up at three o'clock in the morning by a bunch of loudmouth drunks yelling and screaming at each other back and forth or honking horns or doing whatever it is they do. And because, like I said, it was the same problem with K&M Studios. It was the same activity that they had to call the Los Angeles Police Department to come in and start to tell them, you can't be doing this shit at all hours of the evening and disrupting the neighbors and making noises and doing all the stuff that you're doing. Um, you know, that was discussed with the people at, at uh, Death Row, according to Ken Knox at the LAPD. They, they went there and they talked specifically about that you know, about the disruptive activity that was happening at Can-Am. So, like I said, I, I think these guys just had no no regard for the neighbors or decorum. They did whatever they were going to do, and they just weren't very respectful. And so these guys were brought in as kind of a prophylactic measure to keep, you know, keep it down. Not to get too analytical here, but, I mean, there's several directions you can go. I mean, what my mind tells me is that, of course, he had the, entourage and as we've seen in the past and you've heard in the past that most of the cars were were black and their Kadada's car was maroon this is the first time we've ever heard about a Cadillac or cream colored car or whatnot that was the last car which is kind of peculiar to me as far as you know be the last car in and the only question I have is was it the first car out or was it the last car out and well, he said it was that the last... No, he said Suge Knight was the first car out. Oh, the first car out. Okay. So we would assume that the last car out would be the Cadillac again. So that would have me thinking that this person was, you know, kind of lurking. And and as you mentioned, there's never been any uh, recollection from anybody that was in the entourage going down Flamingo that there was a... That they had in their entourage a cream-colored or white color or whatever kind of color beyond black that was following them. So I don't know. That's kind of, it's kind of interesting. And, and just the whole fact that, you know, we have two different people, one from person who was in the Ford Ranger on our last episode that gave a description and knew everything about the event one year later and even gave a critical detail about Shook Knight's car being sideways. And then now we have this person who is at the security gate, Stating that there was a Cadillac coming in and 
in the entourage. In the entourage. Yeah. <laughs> what, what a better place to hide than in plain sight. If you're going to hide, right. hide in plain sight. Why not? I mean, mm -hmm. if, if, if it was somebody unrelated to the death row organization, otherwise, if it's somebody related to the death row organization, then the Cadillac being in that entourage, maybe nobody's mentioned it because they're afraid to mention it. Maybe the reason mm -hmm. you've never heard about a cream color Cadillac being part of the entourage it was because it would get people like you and people like me going, wait a minute. You had a, okay, a white Cadillac or a cream color Cadillac or a light color car, Lincoln, whatever, shot at those guys. Maybe they're afraid to mention that they knew about a white Cadillac or cream color Cadillac being in the entourage. <clears throat> you know, I mean, as Brent Becker said, people were not, not, not only not saying anything, they were not lying about things. Okay. <clears throat> Could this be one of the, one of the facts that was kind of co conveniently omitted from the record and maybe that's why Vegas thought it was important to get it on the record from a witness who again has no skin in the game okay other than the fact that he could confirm that as part of the entourage there was a cream color Cadillac in the entourage I mean I don't, there are certain people I don't think they're going to step up on their on their podcasts or their their live streams and go Oh yeah, we knew there was a light color Cadillac in our entourage. <laughs> we just didn't bother to mention it. You know. Right. I don't think that that's a possibility. So here we go. Now, so just, go, yeah, go ahead. So so would it so would it go would you go to say that that instead of this being some kind of unknown assassin that this possibly now gives some credibility to it being somebody who more of a more of a planned hit as as we've mentioned. Well, right. let's look at a couple of things about some it. Random guys driving down the street, you know. Well, there's there's a couple of things that I can tell you about this. What what this definitely uh, does. This definitely, if there was a cream color Cadillac and he's bringing it up and nobody else has mentioned it, I think that goes that that's definitely goes with saying. Okay, I think that's important to note. Okay, that he saw this. Yet, amazingly enough, no single other person in 15 other cars ever mentioned that fact. Okay. Okay. So they, you know, um, and you're telling me that nobody in all that ever saw a cream color Cadillac in the entourage. Really? That's the first question I would have. But then the, the, the second question I, I would have was to say, well, let's suppose for a minute there was a cream color Cadillac or a white Cadillac that was in that entourage. All right. If there was, and that Cadillac happened to be the same Cadillac and we're not saying it is, but let's, allege for a minute that maybe it is maybe it's the same cadillac that did the shooting on that okay um well there's going to be a reason that nobody's going to say that was the same car that was in the entourage because that means that that person whoever they were had some level of access directly or indirectly with the entourage you know wasn't kicked out and they say hey that's not one of us kind of thing and they went in but it certainly casts doubt on anybody who would say that in light of the fact there was a white a light color cadillac in the entourage i mean they could be mutually exclusive that maybe it just so happened that orlando anderson and keith davis were rolling around in an off-white or a white cadillac and yet there's a white color cadillac or an off-colored cadillac in the entourage i mean that's the problem that police work has is trying to reconcile all of these different stories together you know 
But I would submit to you that it certainly casts a lot of doubt on the whole idea of Keith Davis' story. Well, they just happened to see the caravan coming down the street and they, in the middle of one of the busiest stop traffic nights in Las Vegas, were able to successfully right. flip a U-turn and, and race up on the people to shoot at them. Okay, and we've already talked about all the other holes in Keefe D's story anyway. So, I mean, you might as well. I mean, you could drive a truck through the holes in that story. And, you know, but but at any rate, there's another alternative theory here. And that that alternative theory is that if there was a light colored Cadillac that was in the entourage, it also makes for a much clearer explanation of how that Cadillac got access to the vehicles so quickly because if they were behind right. them, 15 cars, 12 cars behind them, and there was a whole right-hand turn lane down Flamingo that was wide open by planning or by design or just by happenstance that they raced down that, that lane and they were there and they knew where the entourage was at all times because they were freaking part of the entourage. Right, now, see, exactly. that seems a lot more plausible to me, and I'm not, this is not confirmation bias, but it seems a lot more plausible to me to think that rather this random sighting where they somehow saw through 15 layers of cars, identified Suge Knight and identified Orlando or, or, or Tupac, and they flipped a U-turn on the busiest street in Vegas at that time after a fight, uh, and we're able to make the U-turn and somehow get access to the right-hand turn lane, that maybe it's a little easier to explain that the light color Cadillac may have actually been part of the entourage. And for whatever reason, maybe it was menacing and lurking. Maybe it was a plan. I don't know. But we can definitely say it seems a lot more plausible that you would have knowledge and access of where all of these cars were, including Suge Knight being the first vehicle because he was the first vehicle that left. It also becomes right. weird that he was the first vehicle to the left and somehow somebody else in the entourage got in front of him. That's a little odd, mm -hmm. too, by itself. Okay? That's even before right. the K-Dub and Trayvon move where they went in front. Apparently, there was even another car in front of them. So, there's definitely a, uh, a lot of meaning that you could take away from this. And I, I want to repeat again, this is not a death row records person this is not a rap artist this is not a convicted felon this is not a person who has a problem with credibility this is an eyewitness who did not try to identify a person of interest in their statement they merely tried to clear the record in terms of what they knew what they saw what they heard why they were there and made it a point to say that there was a cream colored cadillac occupied by two black males in the car that was part of the entourage where the shooting, you know, that took place. So, right. yeah. So, I mean, again, no other, no other beef in the game. And I, that's what I love about this stuff is that we're starting to hear from people who had no ulterior motive. The only people that we've heard from before, and I want to be fair to Frank. I mean, Frank's a good guy. I mean, he was the godfather to my son. I love Frank like a brother. But Frank had a particular point of view of why he believed certain people did certain things. And that was certainly his way of looking at it. But all we've heard from are people that were either part of death row records or not part of death row records. I mean, who have we heard from other than people like myself and you who can speculate on things, investigative reporters, journalists, 
and people from Death Row Records, one side or the other. Kevin Hackey, Frank Alexander, Reggie Wright. These are the only people we've heard from. We really haven't heard from the guy standing on the corner. Have we? Mm-hmm. No, not at all. No, so, you've, already had, you've already gotten two eyewitness accounts that are, are non-biased. They basically just come out and they've stated these yeah. facts. That happened that's to also really, change. Really that also happened to debunk and change the complexion of where they might be looking for these clues. That's for damn sure. So, mm-hmm. all right. Absolutely. Well, we have we have talked about this and probably beat this thing to death, but that's okay because I feel like this every piece of evidence is important. Question everything. That's why I say question everything. Is it possible that a white color or cream color Cadillac could have been part of the entourage? Well, this cop says it was. Okay, so definitely more to stay tuned. Kazi, any final thoughts? No, just stay tuned for live stream, 11 p.m. Central Standard Time, 9 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. We'll be on Thursday, and you'll actually get to see this document on your screen. But that's it. I appreciate everybody's support. Thank you, RJ. Yeah, no problem. Thank you, Kazi. On behalf of Mr. J.M. Kazi and myself, this is RJ Bond, and that's what I know. RJ Bond, What I Know, copyright Martin Productions 2020, all rights reserved. No part of this may be reproduced without express written permission of Martin Productions. Special thanks to J.M. Kazi. He's out.